if European countries, if other markets are starting to look into what's in their products, should I be a little more concerned? You're listening to the Love Your Melanin podcast with Maya and Savine. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Maya. This is your Love Your Melanin podcast, episode three. And today, I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Sevin. Hello, I'm Sevin. Welcome back to our third episode. I hope you've enjoyed our first two. And, well, we're so ready to talk about hormones and beauty, (laughs) right? Yes. So, like, this is much more material than for just one episode, of course. Um, But specifically, we'd like to talk about how the endocrine system can actually be affected or benefited from whatever we're applying topically. Would it be a cosmetic product for like a color cosmetic or skincare and many other things? Um, and I think the, the industry has become much more aware that the consumer has become increasingly concerned about what kind of products were being uh, applied topically and stuff, specifically because we've found that there's things uh, that can actually interfere from the normal functioning of our endocrine system. What do you, what do you think, um, from your perspective as a formulator, Maya, what do you think uh, about this topic? I think this topic is something that needs to, obviously we're having it and we need to be talking about it even more so, particularly after having read and have, having found out from the FDA about testing that they've done where they have specifically established that most of the chemical sunscreens that we use after mm-hmm. the first use, they are already in our bloodstream and that those chemical sunscreens will stay in our bloodstream mm-hmm. for over a week. And how, oh, how do we know how that affects us? I, I realize, it, and what makes me even more curious about this is the fact that they, these studies were published in the Journal of American Medical Association, JAMA, two of them. So they were repeated. The first time the makers of sunscreen said that the FDA finding was flawed, that it was not done correctly because people don't apply that much sunscreen. But then the FDA repeated the test. And mm-hmm. sure enough, again, you have things like oxybenzone in your bloodstream, mm-hmm. in your bloodstream, in your urine. They found it in breast milk everywhere in our systems. So, okay, now the next thing is, we never knew this. Why haven't the doctors who read about this told, tell, told us about this, that they know they're, they're, every, they're over here every single day telling us to put sunscreen, put sunscreen, put sunscreen, but they're not, they're admitting to tell us that they know about the fact that these sunscreens are getting into our bloodstream. I mean, for me, I want to know. Right. It's my right to know and how it's going to affect my endocrine system because 
hormones already make us, as we're changing, it's, they can make us kind of crazy. <laughs> Hormonal disruptors, right? Hormonal so disruptors. And do we need anything extra to make it, to disrupt it even more? Even more, so right. You tell me, Dr. Savine, it's your <laughs> turn today to talk. <laughs> we're not after, you're not, you know, we're not looking to get, you know, our, our patients, we're all doctors. Uh, we want to do the best by our patients, of course. But we do need to take into account that for a physician to actually be able to, to make a recommendation or, you know, or say something for or against a certain product or a certain molecule, there's more than just one test or a couple tests. Um, I'm not saying that that's, there's not uh, enough information there for a consumer to make a decision based on that. I'm, I'm, I'm certain that's, that's really great for those studies to be, you know, to be published and all this. But as a, a consumer, you can take that information into account and then make an informed decision. Um, as a formulator, you can predict what the market will be going towards because the needs will, are starting to change. But as a physician, we need to hold very steady. Like we can't just go out and, and, and make a recommendation uh, or say something for or against a product or a molecule or something until there's actually a due process, a scientific process where there's more studies and the studies apply different, you know, specific right. methods to make sure that we're looking at absolutely only the truth and no bias, not because of who's doing the research, but because of the methodology of doing it. Right. Right. So that said, um, I, I don't think it's necessarily that doctors would want to uh, withhold information is that as physicians, we need our, our bar is higher as to, you know, the threshold of information that can actually reproduce and recommend as, you know, so while that information gets to that threshold, well, the more studies are conducted and all this stuff is happening by the scientific community, then there definitely needs to be, uh, th the consumer needs to be, you know, responsible on the driving wheel, right, at this moment, as well as the formulators such as yourself. Um, why? Because it's easier, it's faster for the consumer and the formulators and, and the companies to react to this, you know, slight changes in, in, in a more, in a swifter way than it is for, you know, larger industries, larger, like bigger corporations and stuff um, to do so when there's a lot of paperwork, like, you know, there's many other things that need to go, but into the practical, the real life, uh, uh, applying this to real life is what are hormonal disruptors? Okay, they can be any kind of molecule, right, that fit or are compatible to your hormonal receptors on the cells. And we have all kinds of hormonal receptors for estrogen, for any kind of sexual hormones, thyroid hormones, for all kinds of hormones, right? So they're little, um, the receptors are the, the entrances for, for the hormone to sit on those receptors and then activate a sequence of actions within the cell, right? Um, and when we're speaking of hormone re uh, disruptors, those are molecules that come into contact with the hormone receptor area or the landing site for the hormones, if we can call them that. And they occupy that space because they fit there. 
okay, they're, they're structural, they're molecular, their size, something within the, the way that they're made makes them compatible with sitting on that landing site for the hormone. So when the hormone comes by in the bloodstream, right, and goes to that receptor, that hormonal receptor, it cannot bind and it cannot activate whatever the hormonal effect should be in that cell because it's already, there's somebody else sitting there taking that parking space, okay? So hormonal uh, disruptors are the annoying person from the office who takes your designated spot, <laughs> basically, <laughs> right? Okay. That's a hormonal disruptor. Okay. And so why we have to look, be on the lookout, because if there comes a concentration enough for, for enough hormonal receptors to be blocked or for certain uh, hormone, then guess what? Your body is going to start acting as if there's not enough of that hormone. Right. So if it's if it's something that becomes similar to the estrogen or could sit on the receptors for estrogen, for instance, let's set that example. Um, BPAs can actually do that effect. They can sit on the receptors for estrogen and sexual hormones. Um, so what happens is you could have enough estrogen in your, you know, running around in your bloodstream because but because all the parking spaces for estrogen are taken by the BPAs or another molecule that, that's competing with uh, sexual hormones, then no effect of estrogen will be, will be seen in the tissues in the body, right? So what will happen, you'll start to have a hormonal disbalance where other hormones are finding their correct landing site and it's not occupied or there's enough to, already, to see an effect. And so then you can, have, you can start to see that there's a dominance of... Uh, uh, progesterone or testosterone, etc., right? Or just the lack of activity from estrogen. And then something that we can, women can all relate to is we could start seeing changes in the density of our skin, you know, in the thickness of the skin, especially the firmness, elasticity. We can start to see changes in our menstrual cycles. We could start to see much more bloating, weight gain, a series of things that... Uh, derive from literally the interruption of the functioning of the hormones. In this case, we're speaking estrogen, but you, 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 I mean, the sky's the limit because there's many hormonal disruptors that can actually compete with many hormones in, in our body that are there for doing their function and, you know, making us feel good and, and metabolize uh, and, you know, function just sexually um, speaking, just the, the way that we look, uh, men and women, we have, uh, we have that as a result of how our sexual hormones act in our body. You know, the, the, just many things from cellulite to weight gain, um, liquid retention, all kinds of things can be explained with hormonal disruption, even energy-wise, with thyroid hormones, just many, many things that can actually um, be affected if all these parking, like parking spaces, are being occupied with intruders. Right. So basically, that's in a broad sense um, what would happen if we were to be introducing knowingly or unknowingly hormonal disruptors in our body. And why is it so relevant? Well. Of course, we've already just spoken about that, but also because it's so easy, if we're not intently looking for them, 
reading the labels, you know, doing the math, figuring out what we're doing, where we're drinking the water, what we're consuming, um, where we're consuming it, like in, you know, is it a plastic bottle? Is it flexible plastic? Blah, blah, blah. All these kinds of things that we as consumer need to go and research because, yes, that's what modern life brings with it. That's you have responsibilities. Yes. yes. And so I see um, what you're talking about, which makes sense now, because as I was, we were before we were recording, I was mm -hmm. telling you how in Europe, uh, placing your product within a certain country or most countries in Europe now that the what we need to submit as testing has gotten more and more extensive with the years to now them wanting us if we have a certain type of material that the, a certain type of packaging, a certain type of material that our products are in, we also mm -hmm. now have to submit the testing to show that it doesn't leak into the product. So there are things are just um, very dynamic and changing all the time. And I completely understand if those things that are in the packaging are getting into our product and we're putting the product onto our skin and those are considered to be hormone disruptors, then we certainly don't want that. Of course. I think you could, um, I mean, we could go on forever into many measures that we could take, but yeah. just deriving from what Maya just said, um, and that's been done in Europe because they have much stricter regulations because they've mm. been following this, especially the French. Uh, they've been following this, uh, the, the, the hormonal disruptors uh, uh, research for many, many years. Right. Um, and they've, uh, uh, I'm pretty certain it's been like 12 years or something like that since they've been doing some um, restrictions in, in children's drinks and food that you can't really package them in certain plastics, et cetera. Um, but it's because they've been on top of this research for, for many more years. But as consumers, um, and if we want to have a nutshell from this podcast, what we really want to invite you to, to reflect on is BPA, all kinds of plastic, basically, and how it is that you use, how do you utilize them in your life? And can you substitute them for things that can be safer? Uh, uh, basically, the more flexible a plastic is, the easier it is for molecules to, you know, stick to our food or, or go into our drinks or mm -hmm. whatever it's, it's containing or skincare also. Um, so in theory, the, the more... The, the more structure the plastic has, the less likely it will be to do so. But that's not the only thing because you can still have, you know, stiff plastic and then microwave it and then the heat will produce, you know, the the leakage into whatever the, the container has. So just as a consumer and uh, as a final note, our invitation is to be aware that the hormonal disruptors do exist and they could actually be explaining uh, many, many, I would say symptoms as a physician, no, but if there's not an actual disease that you've been diagnosed with, but it could explain many things, even from a cosmetic perspective, from skin sagging to mood swings to uh, lack of sex drive, many things that can be explained with 
uh, hormonal disruptors being used or eaten in our diet or, you know, applied on our skincare. So basically the more, the more things we can consume on, on glass, um, out of glass and jars that are, you know, that are with dark glass or just things that are stainless steel and all this stuff that can very unlikely um, filter molecules into our food, but that will be safer for us to consume. And we can be aware of all this hormonal disruptors entering our body. What do you think, Maya? Um, I completely agree with you, but I've got a question for you. Because some of the things that you mentioned, aren't those also part of what happens to you as you get older? Because some of those symptoms that you mentioned started happening to me as I entered perimenopause into menopause. So mm -hmm. the uh, not being able to sleep, the sex drive, just it might as well not be non-existent. And um, like <laughs> for me, it was it was just like oh okay that that word exists okay it still exists it still exists yeah because you would have never thought that I had three kids because I'm not that you know that I've got three children <laughs> but you asked me when I started those things it was just like huh okay. <laughs> And all of so so many things that happened, mm -hmm. I was, and the thing is that women don't like to talk about perimenopause and menopause. I started yeah. early. Mm -hmm. I started having symptoms quite early, which I couldn't even, I couldn't even fathom that, oh, this was already happening to me. Yeah. And I started thinking, well, maybe because I also... Growing up, I also got my period very early as opposed to other people. I didn't know if it was related to that at mm -hmm. all. I got my period when I was nine years old. Okay. Mm -hmm. Compared to other girls, I was, I, I had my period compared to all of my friends who didn't yeah, get yeah. periods until they were 12, 13 years old. Mm -hmm. I didn't know if that was related, but I started having all of those things and I thought there was something very, very wrong with me. With between the, you know, lack of sex drive, the not sleeping at night, the and I and I know that I'm not the only one. I'm bringing this up because I was at a wedding with some of my best friends last weekend, mm -hmm. and I started speaking on this, mm -hmm. and I saw in their faces that all five of my friends that I was talking to who are approximately the same age are, go are going through the same thing. The worst part for me was not the, okay, the lack of sex, yes. The, the mm -hmm. lack of sex um, drive, yes, that was one thing. The mood swings, that was one thing. But the not sleeping at night, and having a regular routine where I was waking up between 2 o'clock and 5 a.m., not sleeping, my customers thought, were started asking me, especially the European customers, they started asking me, do you ever sleep? Are you just, are you working 24-7? Because I'd be replying to their emails. <laughs> and it was like 8 a.m. their time, and I'm still texting, writing away, writing emails. Yeah. 
they didn't understand that I was going through this time of my life where there was just no sleep for me. Mm -hmm. But the reason why I would end up working was because of these horrible, horrible thoughts that came in my mind during that time at night when I could not sleep. And when Mm -hmm. I mentioned it to all of my friends last week, they all looked at me like, you said it. You said stuff. Because it's not me to think about really just Mm -hmm. what am I doing here? What's my, what am I uh, here on this earth for? I'm Mm -hmm. not. And I mentioned, and I know that I'm not the only one. So how do we know if it's related to what's supposed to be considered natural for us Mm -hmm. going through perimenopause, menopause, as opposed to if this is happening to us at because of the hormone disruptors? Well, there's two things that are that we need to, to look at in order to answer that question. One is that all the symptoms can be explained because that's basically what happens at menopause, right? Um, there's a decrease in the production of sexual hormones, okay? So when that happens, there is a, there's a disbalancing of of the functioning of them. This is why you can't sleep. This is why your sex drive, even you could even have a painful intercourse because estrogen uh, is so, so in charge. It's in charge of so many functions in, in, in the woman's body um, that you, that you can't even, you know, phantom that there's so many, including the, the lining of the, the mucus in our vagina, for instance. So the lining thin makes it becomes thinner when estrogen drops, either because it's it's the production has decreased during menopause, or because there's production, but it's the same as if there was none because of the hormone right. hormonal disruptors. So you really need to do um, a, a good study of the of the patient and depending on the age, depending on many other blood, blood work that they need to, to have done to see how the, the functioning or how the, the production of that hormone is in the bloodstream, then right. you can, you know, you, you can sort of get an idea of what's happening. But why, why would we need to make a distinction? Well, because if it's a hormonal disruptor that we, um, that we are introducing into our body, then the solution is very obvious. We need to stop having that substance introduced into our body. And so we can slowly uh, start to, to see the, the, our body come to where it was before or start to act uh, according to the hormone that's being produced that wasn't being uh, received at the reception site. And then in case it's because of, menopause and menopause related changes then the therapeutics change because what we want to do is stimulate the body to produce its own hormones Um, sometimes we'll need to substitute those hormones to alleviate the symptoms 
it's not the same. It's not as, because I know many women are scared to do substitution. And of course, this needs to be a decision that needs to be made with your physician. And it's an informed uh, decision. He will tell you what your options are and what it is that you can decide on. But if you are being presented by your physician, uh, by your OBGYN, with the option to go into uh, hormonal replacement therapy, um, I would say if that's his suggestion with your specific background into account, don't be scared of it because it doesn't mean that the doctor wants to put extra estrogen uh, <laughs> in the woman, right. but just wants to get you to a level of estrogen is that is somewhat acceptable uh, for your functioning, right. right? For your sexual right. functioning, for emotional, etc. cetera. Um, so yeah, that's that. Um, it's just, a, uh, it, it's a decision that needs to be made depending on, on the particular situation, background, you know, right. health, right. age of, of, of the person. Um, but How definitely, does this affect men, Dr. Sivin? If you, uh, obviously, they're using just as much product as uh, women are. How, how would this get an effect of men with the hormone disruption? Or well, does that not happen with them? It happens. It happens on, on both men and women. And what would happen is just the effect of not having enough testosterone in their body, for instance, right? So when you block testosterone, the, the default will be to have, um, may, many things that are including weight gain in man boobs, maybe hips, man boobs. <laughs> yeah. Um, many things, many things. Sex drive will go down. Many will have depression. Many but things around like what that. age would they be looking for that? Depending on the age in which we become in contact with the hormonal disruptors, say if it's in childhood, then maybe secondary sexual, um, you know, uh, functions will not show as much uh, or as soon as they should in, in children. For instance, we could be saying that they would have, girls could have uh, their periods delayed or not uh, develop as normally, depending on, you know, their genetics and all that. Uh, in the case of boys, they could take much longer for, for their, you know, secondary sexual changes to be obvious. Their, um, their social development can also be affected because of this. Um, so it depends on the age in which we become in contact with the hormonal disruptors. Growth hormone for kids is also something that's very important. Um, and as we grow older for middle-aged uh, women and men and women, it could have a very important effect on their reproductive uh, life, right? Mm -hmm. um, many Issues with pregnancy can can come into play or being able to get pregnant or many, many other things. So basically, it's you, it's a program. So whatever the hormonal site will be blocked by a disruptor, that's the chain of events that it will um it will start by not functioning correctly. So it can be men, it can be women. For women, we can, when we decrease the, the reception of estrogen, whether that be, I'm saying reception, which means it can be that there's not enough estrogen being produced 
or that there is not enough sites for the estrogen to actually activate the, the sequence that it needs to activate. So when that happens, we can have other hormones that are being functioning correctly, that are being produced and getting linked in the sites. They can act as dominant. For instance, as women, we can have extra hair growth on our chin, like beard growth. Um, we can start to lose lots of hair on a uh, sort of like um, we can start having alopecia and all these kind of things because testosterone then becomes it starts acting like a dominant hormone because of you know the in relation to the percentage of estrogen that we're actually being uh, that's being received and acted on in our cells so then testosterone for instance will become um could become the dominant hormone or act like right. a dominant hormone. And so it, it, it starts to activate a sequence of events that are not very welcomed in, in our female <laughs> body. <laughs> right? Yep. I know. So that's, that's all hormone related. Hormones, I think, are a symphony of life. I love I loved reading about hormones because it makes me... Um, just as, at awe, it, it always leaves me at awe at how powerful our, our bodies are, how miraculous every function is. You know, from the moment I see something that uh, I'm going to eat and I start releasing hormones and enzymes and all kinds of things um, to when whoever has been a mom and breastfed can relate to this, to the idea that you think of your child. I was in the hospital and I was, you know, doing my words and I think of my baby and I would have, because of the consequence of a hormone, I would start having a production of milk, right? Or when you hear the baby cry, uh, when the baby cries and you hear them, then immediately there's hormones and all these things that come into action and then uh, you have milk production. So it's just a, a marvelous subject to speak of hormones, but it's also something that we as consumers need to be, you know, very informed and aware of. That is our responsibility. It's not everybody else's responsibility to look out for us. We have a brain, we're smart. We, we, we really need to be on the driver's, uh, on the driver's wheel and figure out, okay, if European countries, if other markets are starting to look into what's in their products, should I be a little more concerned? If I can already see that there's a couple studies, uh, reputable studies that are showing that perhaps there's more to it than we thought about uh, sunscreen, like Maya had said, uh, mentioned this example, well, then maybe I should be looking to purchase safer alternatives, right? So, well, there's, and there are safer alternatives. Um, there's actually a study, a beautiful study that's, um, that's, uh, that was made by, by a couple of chemical engineers and they're using already, there's many things like studies like this with other molecules, but they're using the cortex of a Mexican tree. It's called Coachella Latte. And what they're doing with that is, uh, a sunblock that doesn't absorb into the skin and is not competing with any hormonal sites. And there's many other molecules. Um, I know you like one particular molecule, Maya, for a sunscreen. Um, zinc usually mm -hmm. is the one that I like. 
I try to stay away from anything that's nanomaterial because I know mm -hmm. that it does penetrate as well. We, we spoke about this um, whole nanotechnology. Yeah. But zinc seems to be doing the, the job for me. <clears throat> what do you think of melanin? I love it. I love it. <laughs> if you ask me, I, I think differently than other people. You see, so, sometimes I find it very hard to get my message out because I'll be the only person speaking uh -huh. of things that nobody else is speaking of. I think that melanin already, the fact that we already know that the darker we are, the more the melanin is protecting us from the sun. And so mm -hmm. we don't need to use as much SPF as, you know, say a Caucasian person or phototype one, phototype two, phototype three. And already I think that we don't need to be using that because we have a natural SPF in us. Mm -hmm. And um, so it, it's, it's really good that we can have things like melanin that mm -hmm. I happen to use in my products, which is giving us that extra protection because in a way it's not an SPF officially, mm -hmm. but it's still an SPF that we are putting onto our skin. And we know that that melanin protects the skin from UV, UV mm -hmm. radiation a lot. So if we're putting it in a cream, it's mm -hmm. even better. Now, the studies showed that mel this melanin protects us from the light that's closest to us, mm -hmm. but we haven't had any studies to actually show that it will protect from UV. Mm -hmm. uh, so who knows exactly? I can't right. tell you, but I know that with that, it's... I'll give you a, an example of one of my creams, which is um, with resveratrol and melanin. Mm -hmm. The resveratrol mm -hmm. is the acting as the antioxidant, and the melanin mm -hmm. is uh, protecting from the blue light, okay? And it's on top, so it's thing. So it's making that go up okay. rather than getting into our skin and damaging, right? Right. So now... Um, those two things together, for me, it's almost like a natural SPF, but mm -hmm. I can't do that claim or say that. Yeah, because we haven't studied it. But, you're but still, I love it. You're 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 trying to play around with the molecules, so I think that's really interesting. I found yeah. that really interesting. And there's many other molecules, like I said, there's two um, chemical engineers. They 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 published a study with the 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 bark of this Mexican tree, and I know that there's currently that many many yeah many other uh, studies being conducted, you know, um, research for other molecules. So basically, the nutshell for this uh, SPF wise would be. Uh, opt for larger sized molecules, you know, yeah. go, go for zinc, go for things that um, are, doesn't, don't say nano in them and uh, try and do physical protection. The, right. the, the more physical protection you can actually get, the better. And, you know, sun is also good for you. 
uh, to a certain point. But from that point on, physical protection, I think it's, it's a great way to protect ourselves and our family, our kids um, from aging, from cancer, from many undesired effects of sun exposure. Uh, but then also take into account that we want to be really picky and hold companies responsible for, in the sense that if they're using molecules that we don't want to consume or purchase, let them know, send them an email, you know. So collectively, it will start to push companies into going and funding research to molecules that can be, you know, safer for us and more you know, basically don't produce any hormonal disruption or I'm any other la- I'm not laughing at what you're saying. I'm laughing at the situation in general because, <laughs> come on, Tiffany, let's be real. Those companies, you should see some of the stuff because I'm reading in the magazines, in the industry magazine, <laughs> and you should see some of the stuff that they're coming back and saying. They're literally one of the companies wrote back, the sunscreen industry is under attack. they've got petitions going just because the fda has been wanting to make some changes one of the changes is that the fda does not want them to go and make claims past Mm -hmm. fspf 60 Mm -hmm. because of all of the studies yeah. That have been done. You know that there's not that much difference. SPF 5 is already 83% protection. Mm-hmm. SPF 15 is 90 and SPF um, 30 and 50, there's maybe one point of a difference, mm-hmm. which is something, okay, as a chemist, I've known this for the past 25 years. And I always tell my friends and my family, SPF 50, you don't need to bother unless mm-hmm. you're not going to reapply mm-hmm. because SPF 50, when we were doing the test, there's no statistical difference between mm-hmm. 30 and 50. The only statistical difference is in your pocket how much, mm-hmm. <laughs> how much yeah. money you're going to be spending because they get to ask right. you for more money. And I'm not, and I've been reading how mm-hmm. the companies are re, um, how they're responding. And mm-hmm. it's exactly as I thought the way that they were going to respond. They would respond. We're, we're under attack. You know, they're being unfair to us. They've got lot in the US. It's crazy because you've got lobbyists. You've got people mm-hmm. who are in Washington who are stopping the process because it's about the end result is how much money they're going to make and why this has been, I made a, um, I made a video about this. I don't know if you saw it that I, where I was explaining the situation between the FDA and the sunscreen makers who those testing to prove the safety of the sunscreen. And I think it's because they've been aware that they actually get into our bloodstream, mm-hmm. whatever it is that they do, whether it's whether it's actually doing something very bad in our system, mm-hmm. nobody knows because they don't want to invest that kind of money and to show, oh, what if mm-hmm. it comes out bad? Then what right. are we going to do? I, I think we could. I, that could be true. Uh, 
uh, I mean, not not saying that it's not true what your, your, your perspective is. I'm saying it could be true that they don't want to make the change, but they will eventually have to when the consumer demands it or stops purchasing you know, their product. Correct. But so the it's always getting the, the message to the consumer. Exactly. The consumer getting the is, message to the consumer, exactly. which is a whole different story, getting the message, because like I said, they've also got their lobbyists. They've also got the people who are going to be working for them in their favor to get the message that it's fine. And it's the beauty of, of loving your melanin, right? Yes. Uh, it's the beauty of loving your melanin. Uh, wh whatever amount that you genetically are programmed to have produced, love your melanin. Uh, do it safely. Choose physical protection the most that you can. Don't yes. have SPF on every product, on your primer, on your moisturizer, on your, uh, you know, your foundation. Don't go on that route. Uh, choose specific uh, SPF products that you know or research that molecules are large enough. Uh, mineral protection is also a good alternative. So just be very conscious of the decisions that you make with your dollar. And I think that will eventually drive this not to a conversation only necessarily, but to actual, you know, changes in, in the kind of products and formulations that we are being offered by the industry. And so that's, yeah, basically what we wanted to say today on hormones and hormonal disruptors with the beauty industry. So this has been our third episode of Love Your Melanin podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure that you go on Facebook and like us. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram at loveyourmelaninpod. So send us your feedback. We'll be really happy to hear from you. And see you on our next episode. See you soon. Bye.